You're listening to the Women's Hope Podcast of the Masters University with Dr. Shelby Cullen and Kimberly Cummings. Join them as they bring hope and encouragement through 25 years of combined experience in biblical discipleship and counseling as ACBC counselors. Shelby and Kimberly provide biblical and practical wisdom by coming alongside women with the teaching and resources necessary to grow in the grace and the knowledge of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, welcome to the Women's Hope Podcast. I'm here with my dear friend and sister Shelby. How are you doing today? Doing really well. How about yourself? Doing great. Yeah. Yeah. We're out of the heat. (laughs) Yes, it's been hot here. (laughs) Yeah. In the recording studio again. So glad to be with you as always. So we are beginning a new series and uh, we have had a bit of a COVID vacation, I guess, <laughs> if you can call it a, a vacation. We've mm-hmm. had a bit of a break, and uh, now that we're able to get back in the studios, we're really thankful. But during that break, you know, we had time to do other things, and it looks like we may have more time to do some of those things. What have you been up to, Shelby? Well, for the first couple of months, I was definitely working from home. And I decided, because I haven't in a long time, decided to plant a vegetable garden. (laughs) And I haven't done that in years. So I was excited. You know how it is. You get very busy with life and with work. And you don't often just get time to to relax and, and do some of these things that you really love. And I really do love gardening. And so a lot of times I just feel like a barefoot Contessa as I go out <laughs> and I water every morning or pick some fresh squash or tomatoes or green beans. Uh, or um, habaneros. Or habaneros, <laughs> which I know, and they're extremely hot. So I'm, I'm thinking through how to deal with that. But it's been wonderful. It's a good place to have devotions in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I'm just really loving it. It's It's been good for the soul. And so trying to take something that's seemingly bad, I guess, and, and make it uh, something that uh, you can rejoice in the Lord about. So absolutely. we're enjoying the extra time. Yeah, absolutely. I know my garden didn't quite, I had a little tub. <laughs> something ate my pepper oh. plant. And then I got spiders in my mint. So Mine wasn't as productive as yours. <laughs> <laughs> what else have you been up to besides that then? <laughs> so uh, other than buying my veggies at the grocery store, um, <laughs> I've been having a cook day with our kids. So my husband and I both actually. So we have a you know determined menu. So we're actually cooking the same thing. We kind of keep up with each other via text message or, you know, we'll even kind of wrap up our cooking at the end together via FaceTime. I love it. And it has been so sweet. It's been really good. And uh, just much like, you know, the sweetness of your garden and getting to have that time, it's been sweet to have mm-hmm. this, the time with our kids and just catch up on life each week and uh, just have try something fun together from a distance and just making the most you know, of uncertain times. Absolutely. That's really fun and very creative. Yeah. Well, that was my daughter's idea. So uh, we ran with it and we're, we're enjoying it. That's good. So yeah, we're, we're back on it. My husband was out for two weeks for school, so we didn't get to do it. So we're excited that we get to be back with them Thursday to do that. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, the other thing that has been going on while we've been on this lockdown is that there has been some confusion going on regarding complementarianism. 
And Shelby, we really want to help bring clarity in that. And we feel it'll take a few episodes to do that. But we're going to start broad. And then we're going to narrow in on rightly interpreting scripture to see what scripture has to say about women, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. and our roles within the church, within our marriages, within society, and what that looks like. And so we're going to start out broad, like I said, and we're going to go from a flyover <laughs> of the feminist movement So hold on to your seatbelts. We're going to try to cram it in in about 25 minutes here of just a a brief history and overview and specifically how it has infected the church, right? Because that's what we're concerned about, because it's our job not to be infected by the culture, but instead to affect the culture with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we want to be careful that we're not being infected. And so there were a couple of books that came out while mm-hmm. we were on our little COVID vacation. And one addresses complementarianism and the other addresses the value of women. The first was called Recovering from Biblical Manhood and Womanhood by Amy Bird. And the second was called Worthy by Elise Fitzpatrick and Eric Schumacher. The publishers graciously gave us copies of both of these books so that we could examine. And what we found out is that they're contributing to some of the concerns that we have. Okay. Okay. And so we'll be mentioning throughout this series, just briefly, some concerns that we have. But also we will be giving some links to some reviews that have been extremely helpful and would take us days to go over in a podcast format. So we will be linking those for you in the show notes for the podcast, and we hope that that'll be helpful. But like I said, we are seeing that this is some of the confusion that we have seen has has come from this contribution of 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 the books that we read. So, Shelby, you and I both would say we are complementarians, right? Yes. Okay. Maybe even card-carrying complementarians. <laughs> Maybe we need to come up with a card that we <laughs> promise. Yeah. I am. We are not ashamed to be called complementarians. We desire that our beliefs as well as our behavior display the beauty that comes from being a complementarian. We know that this brings glory to God who created us and ordered complementarianism in the first place. But this also is for the, like I said, for the watching world, right? Mm -hmm. Because this is something that's being mocked right now. And when it's mocked in the world, what often happens which what we we have seen this all the way back to Genesis, right? Mm-hmm. Is we begin to question the veracity of what God says. And so that's why you and I decided, okay, we're going to hit this head on and we're just going to look and see what scripture has to say. 
So we will begin by touching on the feminist movement. Then we will explain egalitarianism as well as the different views of complementarianism. I feel like that word's becoming a tongue twister. Yeah. (laughs) Say it so many times here. But most importantly, we want to shift our focus really to what the Bible teaches us because that is where the power lies within the scripture. Francis Schaeffer said, tell me what the world is saying today and I will tell you what the church will be saying in seven years. Hmm. So shortly after the world gets involved in some sort of huge movement, usually the church embraces it. And we see that all over the place in the church right now, don't Sadly. we? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as I said, we'll begin with this flyby over feminism. And by doing this, you'll be able to see exactly where some of these thoughts have infiltrated the church. So Shelby, I want you to start with giving us a little history lesson going a ways back. Yeah, I think it's it's good for us to to you know take the time to give that history lesson so that we can see what influences our thinking today. And I think a lot of us will be surprised that even in Christ we're still influenced greatly. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to start with Abigail Adams. I'm going to go all the way back <laughs> to the wife of John Adams who was our second president. I actually read her diaries years ago. It was a good good book to read through. I did it for a different reason, but I am familiar with who she is. And I would say that Abigail Adams would be part of what we would call the first wave of feminism. Mm-hmm. You know, what I can say about her is that she was a preacher's daughter, very bright, very well-educated, and actually historians do note her as America's first feminist, which is quite interesting. I don't know if people know that about her. I was a little surprised to learn that myself. But in uh, 1776, as her husband John Adams participated in the First Continental Congress in Philadelphia, Abigail wrote a very famous letter to the Founding Fathers entitled, Remember the Ladies. She even uh, talks about that in the diary that I read. And She added within that letter not to put such unlimited power into the hands of the husbands. That was a big emphasis and said that, remember, all men would be tyrants if they could. So she had some strong opinions there. Yes, she did. Um, And it was almost 70 years after Abigail's plea with her husband that the Women's Rights Convention was held in 1848. So we're fast forwarding now another 70 years and... That's where we get the Declaration of Sentiments, and that was issued really based on the Declaration of Independence, which which was calling for equal rights for women, okay? And this group voted on a set of resolutions, as I said, called the Declaration of Sentiments, which was written by another well-known feminist by the name of Elizabeth Cady Statton. And what she did was model her declaration after the Declaration of Independence. Kind of interesting. But in it, she asserted that all men and women are created equal, which was considered back then a very provocative statement for Mm -hmm. some reason. But the Declaration of Sentiments called for a long list of women's rights, such as access to education or job opportunities, which we probably wouldn't disagree with necessarily, but where we would probably part (laughs) would be this issue on her wanting more power within the church 
even back then. And then, of course, the right to control one's own property or money. Back then, the other thing that was happening was the women's suffrage, which was a woman's right to vote. And that, at the time, was probably the most controversial resolution. The suffrage clause was the only one that attendees did not unanimously adopt. Hmm. While the vote wasn't originally the main goal of the reformers, suffrage became very central to the women's rights movement in, in the 1860s. And that's something that we researched, it was according to Allison Lang, who writes for the National Women's History Museum. So that was kind of interesting to, to just to take into consideration. But to kind of summarize, as far as the first wave of feminism, we could say that there were definitely some good, important things that came from that first wave. You know, we should be grateful that we as women can be educated if we so choose. Mm -hmm. And even if we so choose to work, you know, there are things in place and we have these women to thank for. But part of that conference obviously promoted that idea of wanting more control in the church. And so this idea of wanting to overthrow the monopoly of the pulpit, meaning that men are monopolizing the pulpit, was, that was a big. That was I, a big thing, <laughs> and it was a direct quote too. That's the way they worded it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's the way they worded it. So you've got the situation where you've got some great good stuff to be thankful for, with great damage, you know, an imbalance mm-hmm. really, mm-hmm. especially as it pertains to their view of God's word and and just the biblical teaching on gender differences, and I think it would be wise of us to maybe elaborate a little bit on Elizabeth Cady Stanton, because she, the author of Declaration of Sentiments, wrote some other things that were quite damaging. And I thought maybe you could elaborate on that a little bit, because I think that will even help us to understand further how this has infiltrated the church today, actually, even going back that far. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I was shocked, actually, when I learned a little bit more about our friend Elizabeth. She <laughs> definitely contributed to the problems that you see within the church in understanding who women are. And she actually, like you said, in addition to the Declaration of Sentiments, wrote what was called a woman's Bible. And she inserted her feminist and her political commentary everywhere that women were mentioned in scripture. But she was an atheist, right? Yes, as an atheist. (laughs) (laughs) So we know who inspired uh, these thoughts, right? Exactly. (laughs) She blamed the teachings in the Bible for much of the problem of denying women their rights. So in 1895, she published this women's Bible with commentary and broadly, broadly, and wrongly interpreted the Bible's message about women. Uh, This is what she said regarding creation as well as the doctrine of Trinity. She said this, Creation of man and woman was a simultaneous creation of both sexes. Wrong. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Eve was created after Adam. Right. And it was from Adam (laughs) and from Adam and for a purpose. Mm -hmm. And and so when we say that it's simultaneous, we're removing that purpose. Right. Mm -hmm. As a help meet right away. Yeah. It's being it's being harmed. Yeah, exactly. So and she says that they were both created in the image of God. That is accurate. And then she goes on to say 
It is evident from the language in the scripture that there was consultation within the Godhead and that the masculine and feminine elements were equally represented in the Godhead. Okay. No. No. (laughs) (laughs) She's trying to feminize God. Okay. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we have a problem with that. Mm -hmm. Then she said, this consultation of the gods, plural, is the origin of the doctrine of the Trinity. Note, she does not refer to the God as the Lord our God is one, but as three separate gods. And that is heresy. Mm-hmm. So we're starting off pretty rocky here <laughs> with Elizabeth's uh, Bible. Absolutely. She goes on to say, but instead of three male personages as generally represented, instead she saw a heavenly father, a heavenly mother, and son, and that would seem more rational. Coming from her point of view. Yes, yes. From an atheistic point of view, yeah, it made it made great sense. Um, she also said that you cannot find a direct command of God or Christ for the wife to obey the husband. So she basically didn't read the New Testament. She hadn't gotten to Ephesians or Colossians. <laughs> yeah. She hadn't gotten to First Peter. <laughs> she yeah. was, yeah, she she was off. So here's another thing that she said regarding the portrayal of women in scripture and how men view women, her politics come out in their full glory in this statement. She says, women as milkmaids and drawers of water with pails and pitchers on their heads are always artistic and far more attractive to men than those with votes in their hands at the polling booths or as queens ruling over the destinies of nations. She also said, it is a pity that all versions of the Bible do not give this word instead of the Hebrew Eve. She was life, the eternal mother, the representative of the more valuable and important half of the human race. So she's crying for equality, yet she's stating she's superior. Yeah. Right? So much for that. (laughs) Yeah. And not only that, she mentions Eve being eternal. Right. No. 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 She was the mother of all living. That's right. But she was not the eternal mother. Yeah. So, yeah, she was... Almost sounds like how they view Mary. I was thinking the same thing. It kind of reminded me of Catholicism a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Totally. Totally. So, you know, she totally threw equality out the window by saying that clearly females are superior. She also saw Genesis 3 regarding the fall as an allegory rather than a factual event in history. We even see some theologians today that hold to that. And that has created a whole mess in our society today and has infiltrated the church as well. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't until 1923 that the Equal Rights Amendment, known as the ERA, was also proposed by the National Women's Political Party by a lady by the name of Alice Paul. And Alice Paul envisioned this as the next step in the march, figuratively and literally, (laughs) towards greater women's equality 
as well as the protection for female laborers from dangerous workplace situations, which was a very genuine thing going on, right? Mm -hmm. And there was protection that was needed in the workplace. The second wave, so we've hit the first wave. Now we're going to move to the second wave. And this major wave of feminism really hit the shores of the United States coming from France. Oh. So not only did we get the Statue of Liberty <laughs> from France, but we also got a book by Simone Bouvier, and it was called The Second Sex. And it was printed in English in 1953. Not really that long ago, no, really. No, you know, you're looking at 50 years here. So uh, 70 years, you know. So it's it's known as the groundbreaking work, really, to modern feminism. And Simone believed that all male ideologies were directed at justifying the oppression of women. Women are so conditioned by society that they merely consent to oppression. Interesting. Yeah. And uh, she really had some interesting views on who was to take care of your children as well. She totally wanted full government involvement. Simone's book didn't really get a lot of attention until the 1960s when Betty Friedan's book, The Feminine Mystique, hit the shelves in 1963. In the era where we were born. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I am woman. Hear me more, yeah. right? <laughs> so Friedan spoke into the hearts of women on the issue of so-called feminine boredom. She was convinced that a husband, children, and a home weren't enough. She said the ideal life as mother and wife, toward which women have been educated, was debilitating and false. Friedan argued, and women who lived in such a life were not really happily fulfilled, no matter what they thought. Mm -hmm. So she's telling them, even if they are thinking that, that this is a good thing, they're deceived. So she was trying to tell them how to think. She also said in her book that the core of the problem for women was the problem of identity. And I can agree with that. Absolutely. We both can agree with that. We see it today. The concept of Imago Day has been sorely harmed. It's been removed from most thinking when the indoctrination of evolution began, right? Absolutely. So uh, we, we agree. Ladies, identity, value, worth are not found in gender function. And that's what Betty... Dan, and that's what Elizabeth Cady Stanton were saying, that mm -hmm. if you're not functioning in a certain way, then you're not going to be satisfied and your identity is going to be harmed. Mm -hmm. So we see that and we believe that in a personal being beyond ourselves is where our identity comes from. Absolutely. And that being is Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. and that identity was bought with his blood. Absolutely. And so as women, we don't place our identity in our roles. We place our identity in Jesus Christ, and then we enjoy our roles because of what Christ has done for us. Amen. And how that. he has designed us as creator. That's really well his, put. In his image. Absolutely. 
So Ferdan also borrowed from, this is very problematic, and we've already done a podcast on this. I know, right? From mid the mid-century psychologist, Abraham Maslow, who she interviewed extensively for her book, The Feminine Mystique. And interestingly enough, in Amy Bird's book that I read this summer, Recovering from Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, which I do not recommend for women as reading material, it also briefly discusses and integrates Maslow's self-realization with the chief end of man on page 130 of her book. And at the very core of her integrating these two thoughts, she is putting two contradictory beliefs or world systems together. And you can't. They don't work together. Uh, One is humanistic and the other is theocentric. And she actually acquired this thought from Pope John Paul II. So we're now... shaky mm, ground. Right. So now we're putting really three different thoughts together, right? Mm -hmm. Because you have Catholicism, you have the chief end of man, which would have been written more by Reformed thought, and then you have Maslow. So we're combining these three things together, and you'll you'll be able to read this in the things that I'm going to link for you oh, uh, to this yeah mm-hmm. to this podcast to see who she's quoting from and getting this information from. So you know we and I got this from Denny Burke's review on on Amy's book as well, and not only that, Amy does quote from pro-LGBTQ supporters that hold to, of course, a feminist agenda. So Amy says that she is confessional. I am sure that she is sincere, and um, I love her, but I cannot support her book. And uh, her agenda and the writings that she has in this book, there is a root there that even though she may not have intended it that way, that are rooted in evil. Mm. And it is, it's very concerning to me. So I would encourage you also to better understand the danger of Maslonian theory to listen to our four-part series on self called What About Me? Because we do touch on how Maslow's core philosophy contradicts scripture rather than fulfilling it. So we'll also be linking that into our show notes as well. Now, back to the second wave of feminism. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There was also a common practice that was used to deceive women into thinking they were oppressed that went all the way back to the 1930s that was rooted in Maoism. Okay? So we're just taking all of these world systems, Mm -hmm. and we are trying to dump them on the hearts of women yeah, is what's happening mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, to deceive mm-hmm. the women. And one of the things that was brought to women in the 60s that they got from Mao was called consciousness raising. Ah. Okay, now, be honest. How many times have you heard when you're watching the news, we just need to raise consciousness? Oh, it's, it's a common term that you it's hear today. all the time, mm-hmm. all the time. That is directly 
rooted in Maoism. Interesting. Yeah. So, so women would have these small meetings. And as I think of this, no wonder men are scared to death of women's ministries at times because <laughs> this is what was going on. Women are meeting in these small meetings, and they're having these sessions called, first of all, raising consciousness meetings. Mm-hmm. But they would have these sessions called speaking bitterness. And so these were just rants. Sure. These were vents. You know, and they would be asked very specific questions that would lead them into thinking, you know what? I am oppressed. Mm-hmm. I am being oppressed. And I actually have a copy and I showed it to you, but we're not going to share it with our audience of the specific questions that they would ask. And it was ugly. It was ugly. Mm-hmm. And it was anti scriptural. Mm-hmm. And it was all feeling based. There was nothing objective. It was all an agenda to promote the feminist movement. So this is going on in the 60s and 70s in this second wave. And then by now, you know, we are we're already seeing the feminism that is rooted in antichrist thought. It's rooted in Marxism <laughs> with some of Mao's, you know, ideologies. Not too far from what's happening today. <laughs> Doesn't it sound familiar? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So just let that seep in as you consider where our country is today, mm-hmm. ladies. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's just really important to share this with our listening audience because we have to be better discerners of worldviews. I think that if we are aware of what they are, and especially if we're, you know, have a deep theological or biblical worldview, we'll be able to sniff out, you know, these these counter ones. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think just the fact that you went through that to kind of help us to see, you know, some of these different things that are probably influencing us without us even realizing is pretty amazing. And just even to see where the world's at today, um, mm-hmm. it makes sense. And it's amazing to me that Abram, Abraham Maslow's the humanistic theories are still infiltrating, even in somebody that, you know, is a believer, right? not realizing how dangerous that really is. Sure. So, well, I mean, here's, here's an interesting thing that was also happening within the women's feminist movement during this time, during Betty Friedan's time. Actually, the the movement itself was on track for the Equal Rights Amendment, the ERA, to become this 27th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. And that's when another character, if you will, (laughs) enters the scene, a woman by the name of Phyllis Shafley. She was really interesting. She was actually a very conservative thinker. Mm -hmm. Um, She was religious. She was Catholic. She was a mother of six. She was very committed to being at home, raising her children, the role of a wife and a mother. But she also had a master's degree in poli-sci, which most, like her, um, go on to, uh, you know, go on to later education to become a lawyer, take the bar. And she actually did that later. But Phyllis was interesting because she didn't, is smart, you know, you would think that maybe she would be right in line with Betty Friedan, but... She actually was more of a proponent of the importance of being a wife and a mother. She didn't see that as oppressive at all. Instead, she viewed it as a privilege. 
and began to assert that women didn't really want this equality with men. So it just kind of goes to show how she was kind of picking up on the fact that that movement was trying to tell women a certain message, a certain narrative, that they ought to think of themselves as oppressed. But she was saying women didn't didn't really want that that kind of equality or didn't necessarily feel that way, you mm-hmm. know, so it's a message that you choose to believe or not. But she often warned that the feminist movement taught women to see themselves as victims of oppression, patriarchy, and that self-imposed victimhood is not a recipe for happiness. She's actually noted for founding a, an interesting organization that was uh, against, you know, it was really fighting the ERA. She called it Stop ERA, mm-hmm. <laughs> and the word stop was actually an acrostic or an acronym. I don't know which one it is. Is it an acrostic or acronym? But anyway, it stood for Stop Taking Our Privileges. Mm-hmm. So that was really clever. And this group that she had, which was really actually very substantial, it was a very large group. They were very unique. And when they lobbied with their politicians against the ERA, what they would actually do is they would bring baked goods with them to various elected officials tied with pink ribbons to kind of stand out amongst the crowd. So she she and her group, they got stronger over time. They were very noteworthy. Mm-hmm. Things would, you know, get very heated with the opposing group <laughs> at one ERA meeting or heated debate, it was noted that actually Betty Friedan got very upset with Phyllis Shafley. They were debating over the issues, and she got hot under the collar, as they say, (laughs) and actually blurted out, I'd like to burn you at the stake. I consider you a traitor to your sex. And I'm sure that it was much stronger tone than I'm actually communicating it Wow, right now. But I know. (laughs) But, you know, I mean, Phyllis, I think... She was she was she had great insight, and I think she was ahead of her time a little bit. I would say, um, no doubt. thankful for her contribution. Um, she she was very outspoken, but she often feared the agenda of what you were just talking about. She she feared the agenda of that greater sex equality that it was going to lead. I think this is really interesting. So she's saying this in the sixties. And she's saying that she believed that their agenda would lead to a moral decline in society by changing the roles that women had held traditionally. So she and her followers were concerned that the courts would interpret the amendment to allow, get this, abortion on demand, Hmm. same-sex marriages. Uh Uh-huh. It's amazing. Non-gender-specific restrooms, which was really amazing that she had that kind of insight. I, I was I was just amazed 42 by that. 42 years ago. Yeah. Or 40-whatever years ago. Exactly. Yeah. She also was concerned that housewives might lose their spouse's Social Security benefits and things like that. So there were some other things she looked into. But that, that insight that she had was incredible. I mean, she really thought through really the end of what would become of that. Now, this second wave, as we're kind of labeling it, was believed to have crested, so to speak, in the so-called reproductive rights mm. time, what we would say is considered murder when you uh, look at it in the Bible, of course, because it rolled in with Roe versus Wade in January 1973, and murder, of course, was legalized through abortion and and just that labeling of the right to choose or my body, my choice. I mean, so the narrative is changing a little bit. Right. 
And, and as far as I can tell through some of the reading that you and I have done, this second wave ended somewhere in the 80s mm-hmm. as the grassroots movement was kind of taking hold, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting. So maybe you could talk a little bit now, you know, we've got first, second wave. Mm-hmm. Now let's just kind of move into what we're labeling as a third wave. I know that you're you're going to say it's hard to pinpoint because we don't really know exactly when it started, but at least we can see that there's something happening. Right. It's really evident. Mm-hmm. Um, so you want to speak to that a little bit? Sure, Shelby, I do. And, and it is hard to pinpoint. And also there's controversy on, you know, third wave, fourth wave, you know, that kind of thing. But the, the emphasis shouldn't, we're not here to emphasize what wave we're in as much as well, we exactly. are. Well, right? exactly. We're just concerned with the mindset. Exactly. Yeah. That has, that has been brought in. And um, I would say more than a wave, <laughs> but what they really have left with this now is a cesspool. And I would say, this especially with the third wave, that I would say it's a cesspool because it began really underground with this underground music culture where feminist thought and intersectionality was promoted. It was realized in pop culture through a group called the Riot Girls. (laughs) They took the I out and replaced it with a bunch of R's, girl, because, you know, we're rough, girl, and kind of thing. And it was a subcultural movement combining feminist thought with politics And their music addressed things like rape, domestic abuse, sexuality, racism, patriarchy, classism, and anarchy, and female empowerment. So it was much more than an agenda than it was music. It was a protest in the form of music. So out of this cesspool has really surged the porn-positive and sex-positive culture, which ironically was undermining some of the previous wave feminists who were were protesting that pornography degraded and objectified women. So they're undoing themselves with all of these different agendas and these different things that are counter-biblical. The statistics we will see in the counseling room clearly show that pornography is no longer a man's problem. It's not. And it's heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. So this also has resulted in the Me Too movement. Mm -hmm. So if you really want to read a good book that helps you understand, especially this last culture, Carolyn McCulley's book, Radical Womanhood, she's single, and she gives you a history with the proper worldview in mind as she's sharing the history, but she also shows you the detriment that it has done to women and then shows you the beauty of biblical womanhood. And so I loved that book because I loved the 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 roundup of the history, but also the biblical worldview showing helping us where we're to think. So I know that this is a lot of information, but we want our women to think about these things because as we grow as women who rightly interpret scripture we will properly encounter the culture 
Yes. It's not the opposite way around, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. We do not let the culture interpret who we are. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. No, it's amazing. And honestly, this side of heaven, you know, we live in a fallen world. It's expected that we would encounter different worldviews. Sure. Um, That is just part of what we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. But I think we could probably close maybe by just opening scripture, just to kind of give perspective. I think a good passage that really speaks to all of this is in Second Timothy 3. Mm-hmm. Uh, beginning in verse 3, Paul reminds us that difficult times will come. Mm-hmm. And while well, difficult times were in this whole coronavirus situation, uh, dealing with worldviews like we've been explaining today. But Paul says, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, Mm -hmm. disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. And then he says, to avoid such men as these. Mm. For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women, weighed down with sin, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's just a huge reminder of what is actually happening in a world system mm-hmm. that is ruled by none other than Satan himself. Exactly. You know? So we have to be on guard. Mm-hmm. We have to have an awareness of what is really going on and to guard our hearts with all diligence. Exactly. For from it flow the flow wellsprings this, of life. Yeah, and I'm so thankful for the word of God, so thankful for the salvation that been bestowed upon us to help us to be able to think through things very carefully and very biblically. And that's really what you and I are striving to do. We'll end our podcast here, but we're looking forward to covering some of the other topics that you mentioned. Next uh, episode, we want to cover biblically, thoroughly egalitarianism, touch on some things about complementarianism, and probably the episode after that might get a little bit more into a narrowed focus on complementarianism. But We do want to just encourage our listening audience to stick with us. Mm -hmm. I think there's lots to benefit from as we look closer to those tenants, as well as just getting into the Word of God. Mm -hmm. I think we really do want to see what God has to say, not the world, but what God has to say about women and their role in the church, their role in the home, and their role in society Mm -hmm. for the glory of God. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. So until next time, we want to thank the Master's University for allowing us to be here to record our podcast. We're very thankful to have this opportunity. Of course, you can tap into all of our episodes uh, through quite a few social media avenues. We've got Twitter. Mm -hmm. We've got Instagram now. We've got Mm -hmm. Facebook. And even tapping into Master's.edu Women's Hope podcast. Well, thanks, Shelby. I'm glad that we could be together here today. And again, we are thankful for our listeners, and we pray that this will be an edifying and challenging series as we press on toward the goal of Christ-likeness. Have a blessed day. 
Thank you for listening to the Women's Hope Podcast of the Masters University. For more resources and episodes, visit masters.edu slash women's hope. For more information on the Masters University, visit masters.edu. We'll see you next time.